This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you don't sit in your lucky seat, your team could lose. So don't leave your lucky seat. But do pick up your phone or computer and order B-dubs to go. Or if you've got a big group, call in for the party menu. That way you can order wings, pick them up, and get back to your lucky seat. And if you do lose while sitting in your lucky seat, you can still feel lucky eating your feelings. Spicy feelings. Keep your superstitions. We do it for you. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings. Beer. Sports. Prices and participation vary. See participating locations for details. Void were prohibited. What's up, guys? Red Nation News Podcast. My name is Solomon Ali at Red Nation Hoops on Twitter. Here, joined by my co-host at Rock and Lick, aka Paul. How you doing, man? I'm doing pretty well. How about you? I'm doing great. Also joined by our special guest, Chris Axman, host of the Almighty Ballin Podcast. How you doing, man? I'm excellent. Better now. Better now that I get to hear you and uh, you and Paul's just silky smooth voices. Just, I, I feel like I'm in the company of a real superstar. <laughs> I mean, Twitter superstar. I say the same thing about Paul all the time, I, and I, I feel the same way about ourselves. And uh, so the NBA season's in full swing, swing now. We're about like 15 games, 15, 16 games into it. So we have a somewhat of a large sample size, not enough to where we can truly say something is for sure, but we kind of know some things and we kind of don't know some things. We still have some things to figure out. What's your biggest surprise of the season thus far? Because for me, it's... It's the Bulls, because I just did not see them being this good. Like, I just, I don't know how that roster is still functioning. It just doesn't make sense to me, and it makes me really angry, because I, I did not think they'd be this good. So, I probably would have said the Bulls if you hadn't said the Bulls, but I, I've i gone on so many shows, and had said so many times on my show that the Timberwolves were going to be a 50-win team, that it's starting to hurt me that they're not. You know, I... I you know, I, I take a lot of stock in my predictions because, you know, predictions, they're not just random, right? You know, there's there's uh, a bunch of variables and you throw them in a box and it's not exactly like you're just shaking them together and you see what comes out. Like, I had it all set into plan. Like, hey, this is Thibodeau. Thibodeau came and coached a, uh, a less talented uh, Bulls team to 62 wins with Carlos Boozer playing 30 games at center and he won a bunch of those. So... Surely he can come in with the next great ordained big man, Carl Anthony Towns, and pull together a playoff team. But they just keep falling apart, and that to me has been surprising and disheartening. But the Bulls, that that answer was a pretty good one too. Yeah, and I, I can sort of I can sort of see why you expected this the Wolves to be that good. I mean, Carl Towns is good; like he's legitimately one of the three best centers in the NBA already. So I, I don't necessarily blame you for, put, for expecting him to be that high. I just think 
man, they're so damn young. And and young teams are stupid. And, and they make stupid, they do stupid things on the basketball court, particularly defensively. And it takes them a long time to get everything together. And I know it's Tibbs. I just, I just didn't expect them to get it together all right away. It's it, it takes some time for me. Like, like I'm a big Zach Levine guy, and I, I think Paul is a huge Zach Levine guy. He saw him being this good um, a while ago. And I just I just thought it'd take a long time for them to you know put it all together. I think it t- it usually takes young teams about two or three years before we start talking about them really being a playoff contender and even a championship contender. Maybe that's just me. I, I, go ahead, Paul. Yeah, I had them in the playoffs uh, actually, but now looking back, I sort of realize, eh, probably not the wisest decision to have them in the playoffs at this point. Look, guys, this is this is a okay. All right, do you guys know what their ranking is in terms of net rating in the first half of games? So the first twenty four minutes, their net rating when compared to all of the other teams in the league. Oh, I think they're in the top ten, right? I, I'm not sure. They're I think like number two, number two, they're number two. They are the second best team in the league in point differential in the first half of games. So it's not even that we. We're wrong. At least this is my theory anyways. There's something that we didn't calculate. There's a variable in play that we didn't understand, and that's what's screwing everything up because teams don't just fall apart at halftime. So I'm interested to see what that is. Um, One idea I have is that their conditioning just isn't very good, Uh, and and I think that's maybe a distinct possibility. Uh, You know, We'll have to wait and see, but... This team, for, for 24 minutes for the start of the game, if the game ended at halftime, this would be the second-best team in the league. They would be second to the Warriors. Yeah, and a big part of that is their third quarters, right? They just come out of the gate from halftime really, you know, I guess you could say, like, happy with how they did in the first, and they're kind of content with it. Um, again, like, maybe I'm wrong. I just think it's young teams being stupid and just being really... I mean, like, they mess around a lot in the third quarter. I haven't watched more, too many Wolves games. I've watched about two or three. And so I, I don't have the biggest grasp on them yet. It's it's going to take some time to me. I I think right around the 30 or 40 game mark, we'll start to see them put it together. Uh, Paul, have you seen anything that I haven't seen? Uh, in terms of the Timberwolves? Yeah, their, their third quarter is yeah. coming out. There. Uh, the third, I, I guess, like some of it could be just having a lot of youthful exuberance at the beginning of games and not really pacing yourself. You know, yeah. when you're a child and you're, first told to run like a long distance at least me I just started sprinting I didn't really know how to like jog or anything like that and that's <laughs> kind of how I think of the Minnesota Timberwolves right now just sort of uh, going full speed and not really knowing how to pace yourself or not knowing how to save uh, like maybe a move that you uh like maybe a move that you haven't used yet or something like that. And also just, I think exhaustion might have something to do with it. And also just not being smart enough to make like individual adjustments yet is also a big part of it because the team, like the average age of the starting lineup is like 22 and that's not 22, like 23 or something. And, that's pretty young, so they've got a lot of time to figure their stuff out. If they don't figure out it out this year, they'll figure it out next year. 
Yeah, and I kind of agree with that. I, I just, yeah, I, I, I think they're, they're really, like, as you said, really hopeful with energy in the beginning of games. And I think conditioning may have something to do with, you know, it, you know, it takes a long time to learn Thibodeau's uh, ice, ski, ice uh, scheme on defense. And it takes a long time for young teams particularly to just grasp basic defensive concepts of being in the NBA. You know, this team, I mean, again, they were under Sam Mitchell's tutelage for like the past two years. And I just think that can be really damaging um maybe that's me i'm really low on sam mitchell as a coach i don't think he was very good um and i think they have to break some bad habits um from sam mitchell and going into uh with tom thibodeau and it's it's not a overnight thing you know uh but but okay i get that if it were you know individual games in a vacuum or if there was some consistency and cohesion from point a to point b but they're the second best team in the league until halftime. Like that, that has to be something right there. I mean, it has to be related to that. That doesn't just happen. That, that can't be, it's like, yeah, I, I definitely think that Gorgui Dang could be better calling out rotations, but he can be bad calling out rotations. And in the first half, they're the second best team in the league. And yeah, it'd be great if they had a point guard who could shoot the three ball. That would be awesome. But they have the second best team, even without him being able to shoot for the first half of every single game. And that to me, it, it's, I feel like what it might be, right, is sort of a corollary of, of those two things round into a ball, right? I feel like their big three guys are shouldering so much of a load to make the offense work despite Rubio's limitations and make the defense work despite Gorgui Dang's really poor defensive execution around the board. Gorgui Dang has been incredibly disappointing to me. And I think that they are so talented that they can compensate for that. But it's so exhausting that they fall apart by the start of the second half. I mean, that's the best idea I have. And then plus, like, by now, it has to be psychological. Sure. And... Again, it's I agree. It's not it's not one thing. It's going to take some time um, for everybody to get it to get adjusted. It's a new coach, so and I think every team takes a little bit of time to get adjusted to a new coach. Again, um, I still think this team is going to figure it out, and they're probably going to end up winning forty five games by the end of the season. Uh, maybe that's not uh, as as well as uh, some have thought. Like again, I, I was totally against the, the the fifty game prediction that many people predict. Like Tim Bontemps went out and predicted fifty games. I, I just thought that was ridiculous, and uh, I just think it's it's a lot. It's a high bar, man. Like it it, it takes some time. Again, I, I know they're so good in the in the first half, and I get it. I just think you know teams NBA teams are smart, and it takes and when you figure out what a team is doing in that first half, maybe they cl- uh, they clamp down the second half. I don't know. It's 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 a tough thing to figure out, and I'm not sure we necessarily have a large enough sample size to know what it is, but I still think they're going to figure it out by the time we hit the All-Star break. And so um, we're about, like, again, we're 15 games in, and the Warriors have won, like, eight or eight or nine games in a row. Is there a team in the NBA right now do you that you can see beating them as of this moment? Because the Clippers have, have made a pretty good case to start the season that they can be a team to be reckoned with. And the Cavs have done their Cavs thing. They have uh, came out the gates uh, hot. They're not coasting. They're off, off a championship. They're, ve- they're very good. Um, do you see a team that can realistically contend with the Warriors this year? Paul, you want to start? Yeah, uh, probably... Well, not probably. Definitely the Cavs and maybe the Clippers. I don't really see 
anybody else beating the Warriors in seven games at all, barring an injury. Uh, it's going to be key for both teams. I think the thing to keep in mind, and I think I said this on the last podcast, is uh, all the all three teams will be competing for home court advantage throughout. Uh, I think the Cavs and Warriors have the same number of losses to this point, with the Clippers having just one uh, fewer loss than the other uh, than the Cavs and Warriors. So all three are, I think, are going to be working hard to get the best record so they can have home court advantage throughout because, you know, the Warriors aren't going to be worried about the, like who they play in the first and second round, uh, but they are going to be worried about the Western Conference team, uh, the Western Conference finals and the finals. Uh, and the Cavs haven't really had an opportunity to get home court advantage throughout in the time that LeBron has been here, but with as good as they look, it's very realistic at this point, and that's going to be a very big, big thing to watch uh, throughout the season. Oh, go ahead, Chris. <laughs> uh, yeah, no doubt. Um, I think that there's the obvious answers, the Cavs, the Clippers. And I guess one thing I want to say about the Clippers specifically is I want to see their matchup with the Warriors for the first time. And I want to see the Clippers against just teams that can manage to put shooters in all five spots. Because if somehow Doc Rivers can get DeAndre Jordan to be like Steven Adams was in the Western Conference Finals last year, then I I mean I wouldn't I wouldn't say that they're favorites, but at, at that point it's close enough to a toss up that it might be a toss up. Um yeah, like, I mean really, like a, a big factor going into this is you know Zaza Bachulia can't guard DeAndre Jordan, right? And that that's something we have to acknowledge. Like that's a real hole for the Warriors defensively going into a matchup with the Clippers. And I think uh, Doc's probably gonna, probably going to try to put Zaza in as many pick and rolls as he possibly can uh, to pro- probably exploit that matchup. But then again, the Warriors have freaking Kevin Durant, and that's something that Doc has nothing to counter for. Uh, so uh, go ahead, what you were saying. Well, I just it's hard for me to take that threat seriously, just because you know if if your matchup on center was like I don't know Miles. Uh, Leonard or is it Miles Myers Leonard then then maybe that would be like a real issue right but Zaza is going to be there and he's going to be seven foot tall and he's going to contest as far as like if you had a big refrigerator in the middle of the lane who doesn't move (laughs) or do anything and and that's that's disruptive you know I mean Shaq was a really good defender way late into his career and he was about as mobile as a refrigerator uh, certainly a little bit more intimidating Uh, what I'm the reason why I think DeAndre Jordan is such uh, a key thing is specifically that ability to disrupt the Warriors' offensive system. Because as far as I can tell, um, every team they've gone against so far this year has just had to accept the fact that they're going to leave one of the four best shooters in the league, or I guess they have the three best shooters in the league. Probably, yeah. Number one, number two, and number three best shooters in the league. One of those guys are going to be open or the basket's going to be open for a Draymond Green dunk or something like that. And they're still playing Zaza. They're not even playing the death lineup big minutes. And in the playoffs, like, it's just, it's going to be 
good night. If someone can disrupt that, though, if someone can get in the way of the offense and figure out a way that they can switch so well that they can effectively contest every single shot and not get just 140 dropped on them, then that would be huge. And I think a lot of teams might give them trouble uh, in terms of that. Like, I think that the Blazers look rough right now, but they revamp, they're revamping their defense. They're not icing pick and rolls anymore. They're not playing any zone defense. They're switching everything and trying to use Miles Plumlee's athleticism to get out there and contest jump shots and stuff. And yeah, that was, I mean, Kevin Love dropped a million points on them in the first quarter, but they're basically, they've restructured what they're doing to contend with the Warriors. It's just like, the question is, you know, can you get lucky enough to just beat that level of talent disparity? And I think probably not, um, but it'll be interesting. Oh, you have anything to say about that, Paul? Yeah, I don't think you're going to, like, uh, be able to... I think you need probably uh, someone who is capable of being the best player on the floor uh, to be in a series to beat the Warriors. I think that Chris Paul is capable of doing that. I think Blake Griffin is capable of doing that. I'm not entirely sure that Damian Willard is capable of doing that, even though he does like have these monster games occasionally and he's a great player uh we know that lebron is capable of doing that uh but i don't really see anyone like even touching the warriors aside from the clippers and the Cavs, not even the spurs or anything like that i think they blow through the spurs and just out athletic them we'll see okay and you know the two ways that I can think of, right, to, to cope with uh, the Warriors' firepower, right, is either try to disrupt their offense and try to make it so that one of these superstars doesn't have just a wide-open jump shot, which is going to be impossible for the majority of teams, but a lot of teams at least are trying to do that. That's their strategy, and that's the hill that they're going to die on. The other way that I can see possibly pulling that off is by saying, okay, whatever, you're going to get an open jump shot and probably hit it, you know, maybe not. But our offense is also going to be super firepowered. And then at that point, it's just like you're – the variance is so strong there that you might be able to go toe-to-toe with them and win like 135 to 130. And I think that's what the Rockets are trying to do. And <laughs> – James Harden, I think, could be the best player on the court at any given time as well. And, I mean, if you want to – like, it's not pretty necessarily, right? But you can see a world in which Ryan Anderson is 7 of 9 from 3. Like, on any given night, that can happen. Same with Aaron Gordon, right? Uh, Clint Capella getting lobs. He could be 10 out of 10 on any given night. That is a possibility. And then of course, James Harden is a super ultra star, right? Like if you have that type of offensive output and that type of offensive ceiling, you might just be able to win games by either the Warriors just getting cold because that's just how the cookie crumbles or just by, like I said, winning 140 to 135. And I mean, those, those are the two ways of doing it. I mean, like, uh, I don't think the Spurs are a real contender to the Warriors. Like, uh, I just I, I think that they're going to be outmatched on both sides of the court. I think that you're almost playing a numbers game at this point uh, with offense, or you're trying to play their game and hoping that you get lucky with it. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, and a big part of all this is like I, I don't see any team that can like contend with the death lineup. Like like teams tried last year to switch everything, and it did, and it, and that still wasn't enough. And I I don't think there's a, against this new form of the death lineup was just you know adding Kevin Durant instead of Harrison Barnes. I just I just don't see any lineup in the NBA that could stop it. Uh, I mean, maybe you could try playing big against them. I just think you're not going to be mobile enough to def- defend and you know switch out against these guys. It's going to be really, really hard to defend that that team. Yeah, and I think uh, <laughs> something to keep in mind is the Warriors probably have a top-flight defensive gear that we don't necessarily see from game to game just because they don't need to and they're pacing themselves with which is obviously a scary thought a team as good as them pacing themselves at this point uh but you know they have a lot we saw what kind of defense kevin durant can play uh in the postseason uh he played borderline elite defense last year and we have not seen not last year in the postseason last year and we have not seen that from him in the regular season. And I think that we will in the postseason if need be. So these other teams that are being listed don't necessarily have that defensive gear like the Warriors do to me, if that makes sense. So I just can't see like a team playing Ryan Anderson uh, with as bad as his defense is, trying to guard like the death lineup with Kevin Durant and Draymond Green and Clay Thompson and Stephen Curry, I think that that would just be a disaster. In all honesty, yeah, you know, I, I actually that's a good jumping pad for this idea of how, and I, I think you sort of brought this up when you were talking about. Well, you have to have someone who could be the best player on the court at any given time. I think that – so I went on 97.5. Are you guys from Houston? Yeah, yeah. Right, okay. So I went on 97.5 FM ESPN, right? And I was talking about why James Harden is so valuable, and that's basically what I said, except I used the word undeniable, right? So undeniable, if you think about – you know, if you guys watch that 81-point game – uh, that Kobe had against Toronto, right? Just every shot that he took was just going to go in and there was nothing that you could do about it. And then you had a guy like Shaq next to him who just like, if he had the ball in the paint, it was going in the basket and there's nothing to do about it. You put two undeniable guys like that together, right? And you really have something. So LeBron and Kyrie is what that tandem was. Like, you know, uh, Steph Curry contested that shot pretty well. I mean, Kyrie hit a fading out of bounds, like hyper inefficient three point shot that just went in because it was Kyrie Irving and LeBron of course is LeBron. So that's to me the way that you can deal with and possibly contend with this defense because yeah, I think Paul's right. I think that this is going to be a killer defense. I think that if anything, it'll be better than a lineup that last year was the best defensive lineup in the year or of the league in the year. And uh, so if it's going to be any better, you just need to say, well, like, I don't care. Your defense can be as good as you want it to be. I'm going to score anyways. And, uh, you know, there's only a few guys you can say that about. Most guys are just going to get chewed up and spit out. Um, You know, if the Clippers are going to contend, Blake Griffin has to be at that level. Chris Paul has to be at that level. 
and they're certainly capable of it, but I don't know. And that's partially why I'm just like, you know, offensively, I'm just not scared about like a post up from DeAndre on Zaza. Like, whatever, just put your veil on him. You know, it'll be fine. Well, I mean, it's not necessarily the post up I was thinking about specifically. I was thinking about just putting him in a pick and roll, putting Zaza in the pick and roll, because I think teams will try that early on and just to see if that works. Now, whether or not that's going to work if um, you have Draymond Green switch out, I mean, it's going it's to be. It's really complicated. Uh, I, I I do still think that Zaza is probably the weakest point of this team. But I then then again, if if worse comes to worse, they can just put Draymond at center and you can't stop them, right? And again, it's going to be really really hard to defend this team. I I don't know if there's a strategy out there that works other than having those two undeniable superstars out there. I think Chris Paul and Blake Griffin can be those two guys. Uh, but we just haven't seen it yet. Like a, a good point. Like we had Nick Wright on the podcast last week, right? And we were talking about the Warriors' past two postseason runs. And he, a good point that he pointed out was that the the Warriors just haven't played the Clippers in the postseason yet, right? And and we've seen the Warriors dominate the well, not dominate. We've seen competitive matchups with the Clippers in the regular season. We haven't seen these two teams match up in the postseason. So I mean, it's it's still. It's still something to see. We, have, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see if these guys, if the Clippers can make a legitimate run at the conference finals, and we can see that matchup. I think, I think it'll be closer than most people think. Yeah, I, yeah, it, it's because we haven't seen it. It's just, uh, it's hard for me to say, you know. Yeah. So moving on, I went back and I listened to your Western Conference preview podcast, and you're a little bit more optimistic on the Rockets than most people. What was that source of optimism? Was it a singular thing the Rockets did this offseason, or was it a concoction of what they did? Well, so I guess, um, you know, the first thing is I I think that having James Harden plus functional team has a really high floor. Um, And I think that people forgot that last year. Uh, There's a point at which you can get so dysfunctional that it just doesn't matter how talented you are. It's just not going to work out. Um, I would look to Sacramento if you want a good example of that. I mean, imagine how good Boogie could be, right? If he was being utilized by a team that knew how to utilize him, it would be amazing. So I think last year, that's what James Harden was. He just, you know, pieces weren't fit well around him. Everyone was pissed off. No one was getting back at defense. And they were giving away at least 15 points a game, something like that, that they didn't need to be giving away. And over the course of an NBA season – that loses you like 20 games, right? So they were performing, you know, really just at this level that was just untenably bad. It it wasn't going to continue. And then I just, I believe in Mike D'Antoni a lot as a coach. Philosophically, I really like seven seconds or less. And I really like his creativity. And I like that he assumes until proven otherwise that his players are really smart and that <laughs> that sounds so, sort of trivial right but like you know uh, a good example is like Nate McMillan right Nate McMillan keeps trying to run plays in Indiana for like guys like Monte Ellis and stuff who are just like not the type of guys who you run play for you just say like okay like go make something work right and so basically Mike D'Antoni took a gamble and said you know what James Harden you look at his footwork, you look at a, you look at his offense, right? You look at the fact that he's like a machine and he just seems to have this perfect spatial awareness and 
just fundamental understanding of the game of basketball and how it's unfolding around him, I'm going to trust that if I put the keys in his hand and tell him to make something work, that he can do it better than I can, right? And that's just that was the reality, right? That was something that Rick Carlisle had to learn for the 2011 Mavericks with Jason Kidd is just like when you have a guy like Jason Kidd, when you have a guy like LeBron, David Blatt never learned, so he got fired. And when you have a guy like James Harden, you just need to trust in the fact that they are basketball geniuses and that's why they make $25 million a year. I mean, there are other guys in the world who are six foot five and have really big butts like James Harden's butt, right? <laughs> The difference between James Harden and those guys is that, like, James Harden could be a rocket scientist if he knew as much about rockets as he knew about, well, uh, as he knew about the rockets, right? (laughs) Um, So, anyways, uh, you know, I'm just going to end the statement there and see what you have to say about that. But, I mean, that's really it to me, is that, like, you know, put the keys in James Harden's hand and... I mean, just for me watching him, it's like, yeah, dude, this guy is a beautiful mind. He's like, you know, uh, he could be doing math equations on a chalkboard or something like that if he wasn't playing basketball. He's just a smart guy. Yeah, and I I was watching a Kings game this morning because I didn't get to watch the Kings game last night. So I was watching it on the DVR this morning, and I was watching a play where James Harden, like he was pretending to survey the court. Uh, And and so uh, I think it was, um, I can't remember the player's name. He let that player reach out, and, he, and then as soon as he reached out, he jumped up and shot a three. Like it, it was just like an instant reaction. It was, and to have that kind of mindset to make that sort of play, I think you're right. Like he's just like so damn smart, and and that kind of trust that Mike D'Antoni pl- like puts in his players. I mean, you're seeing that play out with the Rockets. The Rockets are assisting on 62 percent of their baskets. And so that's just something you didn't see from the Rockets last year. There was so much dribbling going on. And now you just see the ball swinging a lot at a higher rate than ever before. And I think you made a good point about just, he just trusts, like a guy like Trevor Ariza. I did not know that Trevor Ariza was as good of a passer as he could be. And I'm seeing him make passes that I've never seen him play make before. And I, I think Paul pointed, that, pointed this out on Twitter before. Like during games, we see players that we normally don't see make passes that, you know, we just didn't think they were capable of. And, you know, that's just someone like that's just something that a coach like Mike D'Antoni, who empowers his players like the way in the way you were speaking of, like James putting James Harden at the point guard, like that's something that has been discussed on Rockets Twitter for a while, but it's just never it's just never been like thought to like actually do it, right? Like it's no but no coach has actually thought about putting Harden at the two guard. In fact, Kevin McHale came out and said, you know, I just can't see James Harden being a point guard. And that's perhaps a big flaw of Kevin McHale. Like he just couldn't see Harden being anything more than a scorer, and I think putting in empowering him to play the point guard position was just a small genius fix that the Rockets. I mean, now the Rockets aren't going to look for a star point guard anymore like they have in the past. Like that's a huge fix that D'Antoni made, and it just it was a huge deficiency in the offense, and he just corrected it as soon as he stepped in. Um, Paul, do you have anything to say about all that? Uh, yeah, uh, I think uh, Chris was on to something. Uh, with the uh, Harden plus a functional team uh, has a really high floor. I think that's pretty much correct because the team was basically a disaster all around. Talent was probably pretty bad last year, and they the, chemi- the chemistry was really bad as well, and that's 
probably not going to work out most of the time, but they still won one forty-one games. So you have, at least in my mind, I expected a significant improvement because I thought that giving Harden the keys to the team without anyone like trying to steal the keys from him uh, would lead to at least some improvement in some ways. And I think that uh, allowing him to play point guard, like you said, has also been something that was very helpful just because it was an inefficiency in the offense, just trying to get Harden the ball with Patrick Beverly trying to break a press or, or something like that. Uh, from Yeah. The and, you know, the ball movement thing, I'm not sure if this is still true, but in Zach Lowe's article from, I don't know, the beginning of the season, like maybe a week or two in, I think he said that the Rockets were like last in passes per possession. And that doesn't really suggest a lot of ball movement. What's, what's sort of happening, uh, like to my eyes, is D'Antoni is just playing spread pick and roll and just letting James Harden show off his talents and show off his genius and creating for others. And I think some of that has changed with Patrick Beverly, who uh, has provided a creative spark. But otherwise, I think a lot of it is just not screwing around with the offense and not like adding any or and not having any gimmicks and being direct. I think that that's led to a lot of the offense's success. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with you. And I, I think that it, a lot of it has to do with, you know, if you think about basketball or if you think about plays on offense in terms of one of those, one of those books, you know, you get, if you're a young adult, uh, fiction aisle browser and it's a pick your own adventure type of thing. I think that the Rockets pick your own adventures either go straight to a guy like Ryan Anderson, who's like, he shoots and that's the end of the possession End of story, like fiend book over, move on to the next one. Uh, and there's only a few guys who it's like, okay, uh, you know, now it's in Eric Gordon's hands. Like what, what's Eric Gordon going to do? Cause he's not necessarily going to shoot, right? He might take the ball off the dribble and pass it. But then, you know, now he's passing to uh, a bunch of guys who they're probably primary thing. It's just like, I'm going to shoot and that's the end of the story. Right. Um, so it's like another part of the reason why it's so awesome watching James Harden do what he does is because I think you're right. It's a simultaneous, it's trust, but it's also distrust in the right ways. Right. I, I think that he's not putting Ryan Anderson I saw a lot of this at the start of the season. I saw a lot of situations that James Harden would give the ball to Ryan Anderson and Ryan Anderson would uh, not be in a clear position where it's like, oh, I'm Ryan Anderson. I shoot now. And Ryan Anderson would take the ball off the dribble, realize that he can't dribble, and then put up a mid-range jump shot. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So like, yeah. it's like he's trusting now that he knows, okay, this guy – I can't really necessarily rely on him to be creative. So if I hit him in that corner, it better be a good shot there, right? And so it's like it, it's like how James Harden is so efficient with like his getting to the free throw and the shots that he takes and getting open. And you know, it, it's 
he's removing inefficiencies from the whole scoring process, right? And one of those biggest ones, like the the one that made me so frustrated last year, was that you know Paul mentioned this. They would give the ball to Patrick Beverly, who would take it up the court. They would run some lousy set that wouldn't happen and then give the ball to James Harden with five or six seconds left. And still they had a reasonably good offense, even though it was just James Harden with six seconds to like make something up, right? And James Harden was decent with that, and that's incredible in of itself. But you know, now he has it for a full 20 seconds. He has a full 20 seconds to make his vision of what this play should be come to life. And it's so much better to watch than whatever BS uh, Bickerstaff was was conjuring up last year. Yeah, so listening to your podcast, it seems like you're a big believer in Mike D'Antoni in seven seconds or less. Uh, and me and Paul are obviously, if you listen to the podcast regularly, you know that we're huge Mike D'Antoni fans. And we've written about them in the offseason and we, we watched a whole bunch of tape of them. And we're just huge Mike D'Antoni fans. We believe in what he preaches. Where do you think he ranks up in the hierarchy of NBA coaches? Like, where would you rank him among NBA coaches today? Well, so, I mean, it, it's uh, it's clearly worth mentioning, right, that he doesn't really care about defense. And, and that's, uh, that's a flaw, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, if I'm putting my – if I'm taking out my calculator, right, and I'm putting on my Daryl Morey hat and – uh, I'm going to MIT Sloan. He's not – he might be top 10 maybe, but just barely. But in terms of you know basketball as an art form, and I believe in that, right? I mean I, I don't just host Almighty Ball and I uh, host Hoops Historians. And you know one of my favorite players of all time is Dr. J. And Dr. J was a profound believer in like basketball as an art form. And once you're in the air – you can do something that has never been done before instead of just like doing something stupid and putting the ball in the hoop. Right. So, uh, I think that Mike D'Antoni thinks along those lines. I think that he pushes the bounds of what is expected and is like, you know what, let's make this interesting. Right. We have, we have five guys and there are five defenders, but it's so much more complicated than that. And James Harden knows that it's five guys with five personalities and five attention spans and five blah, 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 so on and so forth. So, you know, Mike D'Antoni would do stuff like, you know, he sort of made the first run and gun team of the modern era with the old Phoenix Suns. Uh, I think that we haven't seen the last of KJ McDaniels, which is a really exciting thing for me to see. Uh, I, I think that he probably is, you know, going to go back to Maury before the trade deadline and say, like, these are the guys I need to run the system. I imagine go get these guys. Uh, and I'm really interested to see what happens then, because I think that there are still some things that Daryl Morey probably wants to do. And I think he's starting to settle on the guys that he really wants. Um, and, and we'll see where that goes. So, I mean, in terms of like basketball is an art form in terms of it as something of intrigue and something that you push the batteries of, uh, I mean, we're watching this on TV. It's entertainment, right? And Mike and Tony is number one in entertaining in my book. Yeah, and I think you're probably right about putting him like just outside the top ten. Um, and, and I think that's probably a little higher than I expected he'd be going into this. I think he's done a pretty damn good coaching job coming into this season. Have the Rockets underperformed or overperformed, or are they right where you were expecting to be coming into the season? 
Um, you know, it's uh, that's hard to say. Um, what they're are they nine and five or nine and six or ten and five? They're ten and five, I think. Okay, so yeah, I mean they're they're about where I thought they would be. I, I think that I had them fourth. Yeah, uh, in the West. So, um, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, fourth, uh, and then the Jazz fifth. Um, no, Jazz sixth. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean they're about right where I want them to be. You know, right now I uh, what you said I think at the introduction to this podcast was we're starting to see what these teams are. And I think that's true of a lot of teams. It's certainly true of the Clippers, right? I mean, uh, basically all the Clippers are going to be come playoff time is an amplified version of what they are now. There's not really going to be any significant changes. Um, I think the Rockets are are not done yet. I, I think they're not a finished product. So, um, you know, in some ways they've disappointed. I've seen a lot less Ryan Anderson as the bench center. Um, I haven't seen as much KJ McDaniels as the role man as I would have liked to see. Uh, I've seen a lot less, uh, you know, screening, screeners, screening, screeners between uh, Gordon and Harden and Beverly, right? Um, but in terms of win-loss record, I mean, I guess so. Uh, I, I think that just the Rockets are like, just get them to the playoffs, you know, and, and not just get them to the playoffs. Like, wait, wait till they figure out their groove, because I think that they aren't there yet. Right. Um, although Clint Capella, I think, is hitting his stride. And that's that's good to see. And that's a question I was just about to uh, get into, because Clint Capella has been just a beast these past five games. And we expected him to take a leap this year. I think me and Paul were really high on Clint Capella, uh, higher than other podcasts. Um, he's averaging 15.8 points per game in the last five games, 8.6 rebounds on 62% shooting from the field. And his free throw shooting is up to 50%, which is like crucially important because it makes him playable in crunch time and I think Mike D'Antoni has gained a trust in him that I don't think he had previously like he was ending the games with an A a lot towards the end of uh, games in crunch time and now he's starting to end them with Clint Capella and that's showing because he's averaging 30 minutes per game in these last five games and I think that's a pretty good mark of, uh, of playing time for him and his conditioning is getting better He's starting to understand his role in the offense. Like he understands, like I'm just a role man. I'm here to I'm here to set screens, roll to the basket, and maybe make a move or two at the rim when I get there. Like he's showing a, a touch around the rim that I didn't I didn't think he had. Like he has a really like nice soft touch with his left hand and his right and it's and to some extent with his right hand around the and around the basket with his hook shot. And we're starting to see elements of his game that I didn't think he had. Like he's he's playing better defense than I thought he would. At this point of the season, and he's starting to figure it out. So, going looking into the future of this team, can you see Clint Capella being a starting center if this team were serious about contention? And even going even further than that, hell, can you see him being the third or fourth best player on a championship team? Well, first, I want to get Paul Superstar's opinion on this because uh, you know I, I think that as as much as I like to watch every single player on every single team. Um, I, yeah, I would like to get both of y'all's opinions before I say anything. Uh, so I think that Clint Capella's ceiling is, absolute ceiling is probably like second or third best player on a championship team. But I can absolutely see him being a starting center on a contender. I think he could, pro- I, in my opinion, I think he could be like starting center on a championship team now. And I think that he could finish games on a 
championship team now, but I don't think that he could be like the second or third best player or anything like that. I think that his offense is his offense is really good and it's come along faster than I initially expected. I thought he had good touch, but I didn't think he would like morph and like somehow uh, put together uh, one of the best left-handed hooks in the league thus far. Like that's kind of a weird sight, uh, but I think that he's exceeded my expectations thus far, and I have nothing but like absolute optimism for what he's going to be in the future meaning like second or third best player on a championship caliber team. 16 and 10 type player with two blocks and a steal or something like that. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that would be, that would be pretty incredible. Um, uh, so what does his contract look like? So I think the Rockets have his, um, have him under the contract for about a year and then, I think in two years, he has a player option, no, a team option. So the the Rockets could, could potentially control him for two two more years on a really cheap on a really cheap contract. Uh, I don't know the specific numbers, but I think it's around under three million dollars per year. And uh, I think after about twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen, he's a free agent. Yeah, they ex- exercised uh, their club option for twenty. 20- 18 I think and they have another one for night uh he's gonna wait hold on uh he's gonna be a restricted free agent in 2018 and if they like want to keep him at a cheap price another year uh they can keep him for 2019 and he'll be a free agent in 2020 I think is what I didn't explain that well I'm sorry okay let's see basketball reference says He's got 16, 17, and then 17, 18. Uh, and so he's already, yeah, okay. So he already had his rookie extension picked up for this year, and then he has one more rookie extension that he can pick up next year. Uh, and then he'll be done. So that means 18, 19, he would be going into his uh, restricted free agency. Um, so. My my thing with Clint Capella, right, is that I think you can, you guys could be totally right um, as far as like sixteen and twelve uh, having that high of expectations, um, and the fact could still remain that this is probably someone who you don't want to have locked up for like twenty five million dollars, and so you know. You know this idea in the NFL, right, where you don't want to use a really high draft pick on a running back because running backs are just running backs? Yeah. Sure, I don't watch football, but yeah. <laughs> I don't either, but apparently that's the thing. So uh, that's the thing, right, Paul? Yeah, it is. It is. All right. Okay, great. So I think that's what the Rocket center situation is going to be like. Um, I think that, you know, uh, among running backs, right, Clint Capella is going to be great and he's going to be awesome and he's going to be like Tyson Chandler. Um, and that is a extremely vital, important thing to have for your team. And it's something like your running game needs to be super impressive. But if the day comes where they have to put $25 million on the table to put, to pay Clint Capella, like they, they need to maybe consider moving on. Right. Um, I hope that doesn't come. You know, I, I was hoping almost that this would be his last year because like, 
you know, then you could maybe get away with saying like, okay, let's extend you for 10 or 15, um, maybe even 16, 17, 18. But if you start paying this guy like superstar money, um, then you're wrapping up the type of stuff that you need to like get another guy next to James Harden who can really provide a punch in a way that I don't think Clint Capella ever is going to be able to. I think it's, it's almost like not a good recipe because I mean, guys like really, um, you remember Brandon Wright, you know, um, like when, when he was on the Mavs or, uh, uh, he was injured when he was on the Celtics and Grizzlies, like he was just like a pick and roll guy and he got rebounds. Like Brandon Knight could step in and replace Clint Capella on this team and they would be about the same. Right. Uh, uh, I, I would disagree. I, I don't think Brandon Wright's that good anymore. I think he's lost a little bit of oh, athleticism. No, no. I, I mean, back when? Uh, um, sure. I sh- at that time, at his peak in Dallas, is that what you're talking about? Right. Yeah, yeah. He was pretty good. Yeah, I, th- I think he can do that. At the same time, I think Clint Capella's... Maybe I'm being a little irrational. I think Clint Capella's ceiling is much higher than that. I, I, I think Clint Capella can be potentially be like a DeAndre Jordan-type guy. Uh, with switchability, which because I think he can switch on to smaller guys, I, and that I always that's something I always talk about. Like, like Clint Capella did a really good job switching on to Steph Curry in um, I think the conference finals two years ago, and I, he, he he's just done a really good job of switching on to smaller guys, and I think it's really important in the modern day big man. I don't think that's that's something a lot of guys have, and maybe I'm being a little higher on Clint Capella than maybe Paul is. Like, I, I think he absolutely can be that third guy. Now the question is going forward if the Rockets can get that second guy. Like let's just say theoretically they get Blake Griffin or, or KD or whatever next sum this summer, which I'm not saying it's going to happen. Let's just say theoretically that happens. And if they get him, I mean, can you really improve that like the third guy on a championship championship team better than Clint Capella? I'm not necessarily sure you can. So at that point, I think you can justify giving him perhaps upwards of twenty million a year. Now, I'm not sure if he's worth that right now. I'm saying potentially if he keeps going on this upward trajectory, I think he can he can potentially be that guy. Again, he has a lot of things to clean up in his game. His rim protection still isn't there yet, and that's something I always harp on, but he needs to get there. Um, he needs to add a little bit more mass, but I think I think he's a really high-ceiling guy, and he's still just 22. Uh, but maybe that's just me. What do you think about that, Chris? Yeah. yeah Go ahead, Paul. Uh, to add on to your point, I, I disagree with the Brandon Wright assessment. I think that Clint is better than that. Like, is, like Clint's PER is 21, I think, right now. Like, he's putting up really, really good per-minute production. And Brandon Wright sort of, like, had, like, uh, that, that ultra spacing that Dallas had during that brief time period where Jameer Nelson was their point guard and not uh, Rajon Rondo, where, like, no You mean one... the type of spacing that you would have on a team that's putting up 37-and-a-half three-pointers a game? <laughs> but I, I, I mean, like, and, and the type of spacing that, you're, that gets created when James Harden is the guy who you have to decide whether or not you're going to show or drop for? I mean, like... I mean, at the same time, like that Mavericks team was so damn good offensively. I think at the time, like midway through the season, they were one of the best offensive teams of all time before they added Rondo. If I'm not mistaken, uh, Chris, you'd probably know better than me. Um, still, yes, I, it was. Yeah. It, that feels bad. Yeah. Um, uh, well, look, guys, like, I mean, let, <laughs> uh, you know, speaking about being realistic or unrealistic about your own team, right? Okay. 
you guys are like what the second best offensive, third best offensive team in the league right now. Uh, they're sixth. Yeah, sixth. Yeah. Okay, like I said, you're still figuring your stuff out. Like, you guys are going to have a historically great offense, right? It may not be in terms of season, but like for the last 40 games, for the last 30 games of the season, you guys are going to be fully clicking, and it's going to be you guys and the Warriors. I don't think that you're. I, I mean, I think that Paul brought up a super important point when he said, like, <laughs> let's time out on this contending with the Warriors thing, right? Because like clearly their offense is amazing, but. Let's also remember that they have the best defensive lineup in the league that they're just not using because they don't need to. Um, and that's pretty frightening. But, you know, I mean, in terms of like offense versus offense, that's what I was trying to say. Like, I, I think that this is a team that could drop 140 on the Warriors. I mean, they <laughs> not often. I mean, if, if you if you're pressing like a random number generator, like maybe the games where you can just like try to outscore the Warriors, maybe that happens like one in every five times, you know, but crazier things have happened than over the course of a seven game series, you winning, you know, a few dice rolls in a row. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean the, the thing with Clint Capella, right. Is that, you know, I, I, I think you guys have very legitimate reasons to take where he's at right now and expand it forward and say, okay, this is a reasonable ceiling, right? But up until the point that he gets there, I would probably tap the brakes, especially on the DeAndre Jordan comparisons. Like DeAndre Jordan is the most athletic center I've ever seen ever. Um, It's incredible, right? Uh, and if it's not him, like, you know, uh, of course there was Dwight Howard during the Orlando days. Um, but I mean, Deandre Jordan is, I, I mean, he, he can jump like 50 inches in the air. I mean, it, it like Clint Capella is nowhere near that. Right. Well, um, well, what I meant, what I meant by comparing him to Deandre Jordan, I, I didn't mean necessarily the same type of player. I just meant like that type of click, that type of pick and roll kind of center, who just like set screens and rolled to the basket. I mean, in terms of role, I meant that. And perhaps in terms of ceiling, um, I'm not sure if he's ever going to get to DeAndre Jordan offensive production level. Um, I still, I just think we have to, we like, there's a realistic ceiling where he's, he could be one of the top eight centers in the NBA. Like that, is that possible? Like, is, is am I, am I being too optimistic there? No, no, that's fine. Yeah. Um, and so, but- Go ahead. Uh, I mean, one thing though, right? Like, uh, Paul said, uh, 16 and 12, right? Mm-hmm. Um, DeAndre Jordan's best season, he scored 12.7 points. And in a different season, he had 15 rebounds. Um, so I, yeah, I, I mean, like, I would probably just forget about the possibility of the, uh, of the 16 points thing. Um, and I think once you adjust for the fact that like DeAndre Jordan is the, one of the most incredible athletes on the face of the earth and Clint Capella is also, you know, I mean, this is the NBA, he's the starting center and there's only 30 of them, you know, uh, he's just not DeAndre Jordan. So, I mean, it's just like Clint Capella Look, like he's a starting center on a championship team, don't get me wrong. But my point is, is he's not so spectacular that you sell your soul to get him because 
that's that would be a problem. Um, it would be it would be not worth your time to lock him in for a uh, for an albatross style contract, right? If you're going to splurge, have it be on like a high upside. Like you know, I would honestly uh, say I had Clint Capella and Bradley Beal, and they were both free agents. Uh, at the start of this season, right? I would have given Bradley Beal's contract to Bradley Beal before I would have given it to Clint Capella, right? Because, I mean, Bradley Beal, like, has the upside to be a, I mean, not not quite a superstar, but certainly an all-star. Um, and Clint Capella, just, like, he's a really quality player and the type of guy who you absolutely want on your team and the type of guy who... You know, you say, okay, this is how much money we have, and we really hope that you take it. You really, really hope that you take that he takes it because, like, you know, he could play 35 minutes on a great team. But it's just like if you have to say goodbye, then that's just like a thing. Sure. And uh, another young guy that I want to talk about today was Sam Decker because uh, Sam Decker, although he's not putting up great numbers, he's also played exceedingly well these past five or six games, and to the point where I, I went on Twitter and I said. In a few, in a, probably in a few months, and maybe ne- as soon as next season, we're gonna have to start having real conversations about Sam Decker st- starting small forward of the Houston Rockets. Have you reached that level of optimism with Sam Decker yet? Because I've been so impressed by what what I've seen with Sam Sam Decker. He, like he's just so smart in the way he plays. Like he knows where to get in the right angles. He knows how to um, how to use his length offensively and defensively. Have you felt that way about Sam Decker as I've I've had? Um, well, so I'm going to pass this to Paul with a comment, like he's not a small forward and he could change this team as a starting power forward, uh, by having another, like I was saying, choose your own story ending, right? Like Sam Decker's a guy who will make the extra pass just like Ariza and that could just open up a whole new dimension to this team. And plus he actually plays defense and there's that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think it would be insane to replace Ariza um, in the starting lineup, but Ryan Anderson, I think you have to think about it. Yeah, uh, I think that it's. I wouldn't peg Decker as someone that is going to be able to start at the small forward uh, this year. Like maybe next year, even though I would prefer to have Ariza start at the small forward next year. Uh, but at the four, I think that Decker has a lot of promise like immediately I think that his shoot him being a 40% three-point shooter if that is real and I cannot dis none of us can definitively say that it is if it is real I think that he is just as effective as Ryan Anderson because Decker can actually put the ball on the floor he can actually make the extra pass like Chris said and again like Chris said he can play defense, but at the three, I'm not sure that Decker is going to be able to, like, you can give Decker 30 minutes a game at small forward because I just don't think that he has the skill to create for himself, and I think that part of his uh, appeal right now is his size and his ability to run and get by, like, bigger fours. And he won't be able to do that against threes, I don't think. Well, sure. Yeah, and and yeah. hey, really quick, uh, 
Ryan Anderson is going to be if the Rockets and the Warriors end up matching like up against each other in the playoffs. Ryan Anderson is going to be chased off the floor. Like they'll just be taking the ball at him every single time, and he'll just get you know a just smoked, just absolutely destroyed. Right, and the the strength of the Rockets right is that. You start to come to the table with a guy like James Harden who can defend power forwards. I'm sure you guys have read the articles about James Harden and his propensity to guard power forwards really well. And you start to bring guys like Trevor Reza and Sam Decker who share similar skill sets. You start to bring a defender like Patrick Beverly and a really athletic, a lot faster than the vast majority of centers guy like Clint Capella to the table. You start to have a team that you can switch with. You start to have a team that is... You know, not quite the Warriors, but you're starting to toy with this possibility of, okay, we can either tread the water and try to play their game and hope that when the buzzer sounds, you know, we just happen to get the ball in the basket just as much as they did. And that's a realistic possibility if you're playing deck or some, right? Or you can go the route of like, okay, we're going to put our best offensive lineup out there. And, you know, instead of Patrick Beverly, we're going to have Eric Gordon. And instead of Sam Decker, we're going to have Ryan Anderson. And we're going to just try to, you know, put them in a pan and fry them and then serve them to themselves. Like, you can start to choose there. And I think that that's a ongoing reality that Mike D'Antoni is going to toy with as the season goes on. And that's, you know, that's one of the decisions that he needs to make. Because, uh, again, like, I like Clint Capella um, as far as a drop back big. Um, well, first, like, I don't think D'Antoni wants to run uh, that type of scheme defensively. It certainly isn't um, what made him semi-successful sometimes on defense in uh, Phoenix. Like, if Amari Stoudemire was trying to be, like, you know, the DeAndre Jordan, then that would have been a nightmare. But Amari Stoudemire could get out on guys and pressure guys and trap guys and just, you know, like – <laughs> not at least get him go do something positive on defense instead of just getting jammed on all day. Right. And, and that's what Clint Capella could do, except, you know, maybe protect the rim a little bit better. So it's like, you know, uh, I, I don't know um, which one of these two realities for the Rockets has the most upside. They both have significant upside in terms of like, how are we going to deal with the Warriors? And I think, you know, the Rockets like, I would put the Rockets' chances of upsetting the Warriors uh, probably right under the Clippers. I just don't know how much further below the Clippers they are. Um, but just for a lot of the same reasons. Like, I I, I think that, you know, the Clippers sure ha- – they have the talent upside, but I think that the Rockets have the coaching upside. And, uh, you know, eventually a lot of this stuff comes down to just random number crunching – and you know, with enough with enough dices being thrown, sometimes you get lucky and sometimes you win. You just have to like get the dice on the table. And I think that the Rockets are set up to do that in a couple of different ways. How many games do you think this Rockets team gonna end up winning by the end of the year? And how far do you think they can end up going in the playoffs as presently constructed? Um well um I think uh, like like I said, <laughs> I I think right that there's <clears throat> there's enough of a possibility that they could upset the Warriors that I'm going to call it a possibility. And we're talking two or three percent, like one out of 
50. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so, I mean, but I think once you start to say, okay, can they upset the, uh, can they upset the Cavaliers though? No. Um, so like, but realistically, like, uh, you know, um, I would, I would expect them to, I think they don't match up super well with the Clippers. Um, I, I think that, yeah, I think that if you just run the two systems at each other, um, there's just not a lot of things that D'Antoni can do creatively to get around the talent mismatch in the same way that he can do some stuff because the Warriors are so funky. Um, I think that it's just like Doc Rivers will fundamental basketball him off the court. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I would expect them to be beaten whenever they run into the Clippers or whenever they run into the Warriors. So you that's, ha- that's what I would expect. So you ex- you actually expect them to run into the Warriors or the Clippers because that's assuming they get past the first round. Like, you think they're a second-round team? Sure. So um, with that being said, I mean, like, the, with Ryan Anderson's contract situation and Corey Brewer's dreadful contract still be on the books, what's the realistic path for contention for this team in the coming years? And I know that's a real uh, forward-looking question, but, I mean, I- I've battled with this so much over the past few months, and it's just, like, the obvious positions of upgrade are probably the front court, right? Like, it's probably the small forward position or the power forward position as to, like, where they need to upgrade in the f- in the coming years. But, I mean, like, what kind of star can you pair with Harden that, you know, that you, you think can work? Like, is it a Blake Griffin type? Is it a Paul Millsap type? Like, like who like who can you realistically see them getting um, in the coming years? And who can you, like, how can they get to a contending team? Like, is it just not on the table with the way they've, you know, handed out contracts this summer? Um, well, so the type of guy who you would want is uh, Paul George. Um, I, I was, uh, man, who was I talking to the other day? It, I think it was Ben Golliver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was Ben Golliver, right. Um, and he described Paul George as a Scotty Pippen. And, um, I think that, you know, of a couple of guys in the league, uh, James Harden is the closest thing you're going to get to a Michael Jordan, right? Where, I mean, Paul George is a superstar and I, I don't think anyone's debating that. Right. But he's not. He doesn't have that offensive unde- undeniability. Wait, yeah, undeniability. Um, but he does so many other things for you, and he's such a great complimentary player that you know. I mean, it's like you do need a you do need two ones, like two top tier superstars. But you need to find someone who is fit to be a one B. Another guy like that is Anthony Davis. I think that he's been miscast as a uh, you know as a like primary guy i think that he would just be an amazing secondary guy uh his skill set is too diverse to just be like okay here like take the ball go score i mean it's like he can do so many other things like you should let him do those other things right um so that's the type of guy who you would put want to put next to uh james harden so i think that blake griffin is probably not the guy for that um guys on the move like i said paul george could be on the move i think that would work well uh, Anthony Davis, that would work well. Um, you know, that's that. <laughs> do you guys think that you could pull Giannis away from the Bucks? Uh, 
yeah, and see, the, the tricky thing is like, like that's probably, and you're probably right. Like the the best guys to pair with Harden are probably only available through trade. And I just looking at the Rockets like roster and their assets, I just don't see how you can pull a guy like Paul George out of Indiana, especially with Larry Bird being as attached to Paul George as he has been. I mean, it, it's it's tricky because like right now the Rockets like trade chest is kind of empty right now and they have all their first round picks going forward it looks like their biggest contracts to move are probably ryan anderson and their most attractive contracts to move are probably like you know trevor ariza patrick beverly now is that going to get you a paul george is that going to get you an anthony davis i don't think it's likely um i don't know it's it's going to be tough Paul, where, where do you think this the Rockets can get back to contention? Like, like, where where do you think the realistic path is to getting back to contention? Uh, well, I think that uh, Harold and because I've liked what I've seen from Harold and I liked what I've seen from KJ. I think that those two being players and Sam Decker looking like a potentially really good player as well as Capella uh, makes. A uh, creates a realistic path uh, for a, an attractive free agent this offseason. Uh, I think that that will probably be the last year that they have it, the last offseason where they have a chance to attract a, a big free agent because the Clint Capellas and Sam Deckers of the world will be will start uh, to need confidence to ex. It will start to need extra compensation, and I think that uh, if you can, in fact, like uh, manage to get by with like a core of Harden, Decker, Capella, KJ, and Pat Bev or something like that, uh, and like maybe trade away Ryan Anderson to the Kings, because I've always felt that like the Kings will take Ryan Anderson no more. <laughs> uh, you can like create like you there are definitely ways to create a path to a free agent like a Blake Griffin or a Gordon Hayward who is not Paul George but is like, kind of like a Paul George light in a way because he can defend and pretty well and he can shoot and he can uh, handle the ball but He's probably a better shooter than he is a ball handler at this point. Well, first, I, like I don't think there's any podcast out there that's as hard on Vladdy Divac as our podcast. Um, I think we fake traded Corey Brewer, Ryan Anderson. Like we, oh, there we, is by the way, every podcast is hard <laughs> on Vladdy. <laughs> we fake traded so many rocket rockets unwantable players to the Kings in the past two years. Like it's it's unbelievable. But yeah, I think. I think you made a great point, Paul. I think getting a guy like Gordon Hayward, getting a guy like you know, like Paul George, as as you mentioned, Chris, uh, can be enough. And I, I didn't, I don't, I'm not sure if Dale is going to be willing to part with these young pieces like Capella and Sam Decker. But if they, if they can put, if those guys are on the table, that you know, now that I think about it, that's a pretty attractive piece. Like if you put Decker, if you put KJ, and you put if you put Capella, who are all on cheap contracts. If you put them on a, on a in a package, I mean, I think you can make a realistic offer sheet for the, the for one of these top tier superstars. The and the the big question is, you know, when are these guys going to become available on the market? Because you know these guys never become available. You know, the only superstar it looks like to be on the move right now it looks like it's Demarcus Cousins and maybe John Wall. 
Like it, it's 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 really hard. Timing is going to be big for the Rockets uh, because that's what got them James Harden, right? Like waiting for a team to be desperate enough to move on from a superstar uh, and kind of you know killing them well, in hey, trade. He wasn't a superstar then. Yeah, right? you're you're I right. Mean, you're right. It was a guy who you could predict that he would be a superstar. I mean that that's the other option, right? Is you try to use your scouting, your your NBA scouting, to pick a guy who you think might be uh, a, a a dormant volcano you know ready to erupt uh you talked about the jazz trey lyles has some pieces of a skill set that is incredibly rare and if he could refine them trey lyles you know can be amazing i don't know if he's ever going to be there but like trey lyles offensive potential based on just a handful of things that i know for a fact that i've seen him do trey lyles could could be really incredible uh you know, on the Kings, Willie Cauley-Stein, like, Willie Cauley-Stein is the level of athletic that DeAndre Jordan is, except he has shown that maybe he has a bit of a jump shot on top of that, too. I mean, that that might be a steal. Uh, you know, Dragon Bender is just sitting in Phoenix playing five minutes a game, like, just wasting away. Maybe you can steal him. Maybe Marquise Chris. Like, you know, I, it's uh, – that's – I mean, that's what the – Rockets need to do right because they paid dollars on the penny <laughs> for some of these guys like Ryan Anderson, right? I mean, uh, I I definitely understand what Daryl Morey was saying when he was like, you know, well, consistent shooting is underrated. It's like, yeah, I I get what you're saying, man, but like, you're not gonna have a good defense now, and like, that should make you feel sad, right? <laughs> I mean, so. The only way to reverse that, right, is getting pennies on the dollar, right? You know, like if if you're going to pay too much uh, for free agents, then you got to trade them away for more value than you initially had. And uh, the best way of doing that is probably to chase guys who you think can predictably be great, uh, like James Harden. Yeah, and you know, um, you made some great points with those guys. And maybe it's a second tier guy that we haven't even looked, we haven't even talked about today. Like maybe it's a CJ McCollum where the Blazers want to part ways with this contract and, you know, go after some young pieces. Like it's going to be, Daryl Morey has to get creative in the coming years. And listen, Chris, it's been fun talking to you. I wasted way too much of your time today. But yeah, um, it's been fun talking to you about the Rockets. Uh, Do you have anything to plug? Um, well, you know, there's, there's this thing that I work on sometimes it's called, uh, the almighty baller podcast network. You can check it out at almightyballer.com. We're featured network at blog talk radio forward slash ABPN. You know, we're on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, we're probably available on one of those little hand crank radio things. Um, <laughs> actually I don't think so, but you know, we're everywhere on the net, but Anywhere you search Almighty and Baller, you'll find us, and you can listen to our great podcasts, including mine, Almighty Ballin', or like I said, I host Hoops Historians, so you can check that out too if you're a fan of NBA history. Man, it was great talking Rockets with you. Really interesting team. Like you said, uh, I'm pretty high on them, and I think that, you know, I mean, we at least knew that they were going to be fun to watch, and I think they've lived up to that so far. Yeah, and listen, it was fun talking to you, Chris. The Rockets are definitely an interesting team going forward in the coming years. Uh, Subscribe to his podcast at Almighty Ballin' and subscribe to us at 
on iTunes, on Google Play Music, and on SoundCloud. Give us a good rating on iTunes. Give us a good rating on iTunes if you enjoy the podcast because that helps other people find the podcast. And that helps us, um, you know, produce better quality content for you guys. And yeah, good night, guys. Insurance-minded speeches from Geico. It's a common expression, don't look a gift horse in the mouth. However, what if the horse's mouth is filled with useful insurance tools? This is the exact case with the Geico app. Yes, the app is free and therefore a gift horse. However, look inside the app and behold, emergency roadside assistance, digital ID cards, bill pay. Get the Geico app, look it in the mouth, get amazing services. Thank you.